so the r- rumors are true. I was, I was born on this day many years ago, and my father on that day wanted to name me Aloysius. Uh, my sister, Danielle, wanted to name me Magic Mambo, uh, but my mother prevailed. I was named Jonathan Reed Paul. Uh, nobody calls me that. I, I go by every other name but that. Although I came in uh, to church, there was a card on my seat that said Jonathan on it. I knew it was from my sister because she was the only one who would call me that in the room. Um, people don't get Paul's my last name. I keep, I've shared that before. I keep running into that. And because of the ministry that I do, and um, I have all these kind of titles and things, and people say, do I call you Pastor Paul or Reverend JP? Or what, what do I call you? Um, somebody once addressed me as, hey, Rev. And I thought, <laughs> hey, um, what should I, what am I supposed to call you? And I said, I don't know, there's no supposed to. There's no, there's no convention. We don't have a, a, we're not like that. You know, we don't have a rigid thing. Well, and people say, well, what do you prefer? You know, what, what do you want me to call you? I said, I don't know. I've always gone by these different nicknames. People call me John Paul or JP. Or I bought this $3 hat at Walmart when I was in high school. And it was said, Bomber Lures. And this group of friends that called me Bomber because of this little stupid hat I had. I, I thought that was a cool nickname. And then um, in college, this kid in my dorm was calling me Jebediah because he couldn't remember my name. But he knew that I was a Christian, and he said, that sounds like a Christian name, Jebediah. <laughs> so, okay. At the fire station, they call me Chaplain or Chap or Chappy. I kind of like that. Like, hey, Chappy. Like, hey. All right, I, I love the, I got all these, I, I guess I like the variety, so just whatever, for you, whatever you come up with, I probably will appreciate, um, but I do have one favorite nickname uh, that, that I have, only a couple people call me this, but it is my absolute favorite nickname, Dad. Take a lot of pride in that nickname, Dad I am Daddy, it means the world to me, it means that I have uh, both the privilege to be a father. Um, it reminds me of the special role that I have in my children's life, uh, lives. Uh, it, it's, it's a nickname that comes with great responsibility, but I love it. Here's what God's word says. It says, how great is the love of the father. How great is the love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. That is, as much as I love to be known as dad, you know, even more that God desires for us to be his children, that he would be our loving heavenly father, that he would know us and love us and nurture us and guide us, and that is the heart of the God of the universe towards you. So we've been looking at these four names of the, the coming Messiah, the, the promised child that was to be born, and we've been considering how Christ is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Last week when we talked about mighty God, so that's probably the most important of the names that were given to this special child. I mean, from a theological perspective, that the, the baby in the manger was indeed mighty God come to this earth. Uh, so today, if that was the most important one, uh, today's is probably the hardest one, at least for some people, that as we consider God as father, it for some, can, is not a, a positive association. It can be hard and difficult. And if that's you, even now as I bring it up, if, if, um, if that is hard for you in this time, I want to pray for you in a moment, and I want you to 
to stay and, and enter into this and know that you're in a safe place, to know that God is here. We have worshipped him by the presence of his Holy Spirit is with us to guard us and protect us and that um, to consider this together. So, so let us, let's, to that end, let us pray. So Father, I pray that uh, as we consider how you've revealed yourself as, as um, everlasting Father, um, that for, for whatever this will bring up for people or um, for memories, for, for hard times, or, or whatever joys that this may bring up for some, Lord, we know that you're with us. We know that you're good. Uh, you are powerful. And we just pray your spiritual protection. Uh, we pray the comfort of your spirit. We pray that you would be the wonderful counselor and the Prince of Peace as well during this time as, as you protect us and guide us this morning. Uh, so we give this time to you now. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Amen. So I want to consider um, how this child is everlasting father, and then some. Uh, I want to give a number of benefits that flow to us, uh, to flow to us as his followers through that. Uh, so of these, there's these four names and titles that we've been looking at. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and you'll notice, if we can get those on the screen there, you'll notice each of these is a dual name. And part of the name is kind of earthly or things that you could do or reflect. And part of it is very much a divine title. So wonderful counselor. We know, you know, anybody could be a counselor or an advisor, but only God could be wonderful counselor. Remember, wonder is a word that we only see used to describe God in the Old Testament. You know, anybody could be mighty or a hero or strong, but there's only one mighty God. And here, you know, many people could be father or be a father figure, but there's only one eternal, or as our NIV translates, everlasting father, literally father of eternity, that kind of a notion, eternal father. Uh, there's only one. And just as these names have sort of a human and a divine aspect, so also Jesus, the Christ child, fully human and fully God, holds those things together. So the Messiah child is none other than everlasting Father. So the Christ child is Jesus, therefore Jesus is the Father. And you say, time out. This is contradiction. And we, you say, Pastor, we know God is Father. Jesus is the Son and there's the Holy Spirit. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How can the Father be the Son? That's confusing. And there's that song, I am my own grandpa. That's kind of, you're heading down that road. And I'll say, well, to untangle this, I didn't create this tension that you feel. Jesus did. And he was very clear about it. And I want to show you that. And in John uh, chapter 10, Jesus is at the Feast of Dedication. The Feast of Dedication, it was winter, uh, is, a, is a Jewish feast. It's also called the Festival of lights or Hanukkah. So, so our Jewish friends and neighbors have been celebrating Hanukkah all last week, and uh, so the, the eight days ended on uh, Friday, the 15th. So you see menorahs around town, and the big one in the town park, the big, there's a Christmas tree and the big menorah, and so we've been, there's been this celebration. So Jesus celebrated Hanukkah, and he was at this festival, and it was winter, of course, it always happens, the calendar goes in the winter. So we have Jesus at Hanukkah, and he says this. So uh, the time for the festival, verse 23, Jesus was in the temple courts 
walking in Solomon's colonnade, and the Jews who were gathered around him, uh, the Jews who were gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And they, they just want to know, who do you think you are? And this is what he said. He said, I've already told you. You didn't believe. I already showed you. You didn't believe. If you believed, you would understand your connection as he uses this, the beautiful language in John 10 of, the, of, uh, of shepherd and sheep, of those who put their faith in God. And he concludes his remarks here in verse 30, and he makes this profound statement. He says, I and the Father are one. And that Jesus very clearly says that he is one with the Father. Uh, it's, it's a statement that really helps us understand fully who God is. So the divine child of Isaiah 9-6 is the Messiah, is also the Father of eternity. Jesus is none other than God himself. The child is one with the Father, yet distinct from the Father, a mysterious union of oneness, and yet distinct. And so when we, as we seek to comprehend what Jesus said here, we, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we use the word Trinity. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but it is a word that is a very helpful word that helps us to understand God is one. There is one God, but eternally distinct in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so that, yes, God is one. So Jesus can say, I am one with the Father. We, in, in Jesus, actually, in, in um, John chapter 14, one of his disciples, he said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, he said, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? So there's a, to see Jesus is to see the Father because of the oneness of God. So there, there are times in our faith where it's helpful for us to really focus on the distinction of the Godhead, that God is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. But there's other times where we just say, God is one. And we, we consider the Holy Spirit. We're experiencing all of who God is. We're, we, Jesus is, is no less God than, than the Father himself. And we, we experience all of who the Father is through Jesus. He said, you, if you want to see the Father, just look to the Son. Uh, that's still a it's profound mystery. It's, it's hard to explain. But this is how Jesus has revealed himself. Now, when Jesus said, I and the Father are one, the people he was talking to understood what he meant. So we're not, we're not thinking anything different than what they thought. Because what they did was they picked up stones to kill him. Because he has committed the crime of blasphemy that Jesus very clearly considered himself equal with God the Father. And that was essentially why they sought to kill him. And ultimately, the charge of blasphemy was the charge on which they crucified him and killed him. And punished him. Um, but here, uh, here we, we, we have um, Jesus revealing this mystery to us. So now, to not get lost in the mystery, what, instead, what, what I'd love for us to do is get lost in the meaning of this, to get immersed into the meaning that, that the Father has come, and that we can experience God as the everlasting Father. And for that, we turn to Romans chapter 8, and this is one of the greatest uh, pages in your Bible. So if you're going to rip pages out, don't. don't. I mean, you can, but don't. 
Um, but this one you would leave. And it's one of the greatest chapters in, in, in a really a great book, and I encourage you to read it. But this is just a real high point in the New Testament. So uh, we get five, I want to show you five things we get because of this. So the first one is we get a father um, in verse 14 in Romans 8. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. You are, you are indeed God's child because of this. And that means, what that means is you have a perfect heavenly father. What that, what that doesn't mean, or what it means is that you don't have a bad father or an absent father or a father who would hurt or abuse or not accept or who is addicted or all of the, the ways that human fathers fail or are absent. But fathers who would harm a child, fathers who would be absent, are no fathers at all. That's not a father. And often it's hard for people because we think of God through the lens of earthly fathers, and that's a, that can, for many people, be a, a traumatic and, and just a, a really negative, hurtful image. But God's desire is that we understand fatherhood through the lens of God, that we don't even know what a father is except that, that God has revealed himself as father. And so... In Scripture, you know, for, for those who've had, um, who, who the association is, is difficult and hard, the, the Bible describes God as a father to the fatherless. That even if you don't know what a father is, or a real father is, God gives us the true fatherhood. God defines what fatherhood should be. And even the best earthly father is still a sinful person. And it's still someone who is prone to fail. Uh, Jesus even said, he, in Matthew 7, he said, if you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He said, even a, good, even a really good father on earth who, could, who gives gifts to children and knows how to do that well, Jesus said, how much more? That's not, even that falls short of, of what God is revealing of himself. Um, here, we, we receive a perfect father. Again, not one who is absent, but one who is truly God with us. Not one who comes to punish, but one who takes the punishment upon himself to save us, to rescue us, to give us fellowship with him. So we get father. The second thing, the second blessing that flows to us is freedom. We see this at the beginning of verse 15. It says, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. You're sons and daughters of God. That is, that is who we are. We're not servants in the household. We don't work for God in that sense. We're, we don't have to try to live up to his standard. We don't have to try to prove ourselves. It's so easy to forget that we are God's children, that we are recipients of God's grace, that we could never we don't have to work for it. We're not just living in fear of his punishment, but we're living under his grace. Jesus told a beautiful story of, of, a, of a son who uh, really rejected his father, ran away from home, um, took his inheritance with him, squandered the family's money, disgraced the family's name, and in a very low point, this son had, didn't even have a good meal to eat, didn't have anything, thought, you know what, back in my father's house, there's servants, and they're treated well, and they get, have food. I will go back and be a servant in my father's household. The son goes back. The father will have nothing to do with this. 
will never be a servant in the household. The father gives the son a robe, puts a ring on his finger, creates a, a huge party, a celebration to welcome the son home. You are not a servant. You will always be a, a precious child accepted by grace into the family. That's the image of, of our heavenly father. So we get that freedom to be his children. So we get a father, we get freedom. Thirdly, we get fellowship. We get intimate fellowship. So it's by this spirit in verse 15 that we cry, Abba, Father. So Abba is, it's an Aramaic word. It's just roughly equivalent to daddy. We call God daddy. And when we gather as a church, we're not just people who are trying to intersect with divine power or just trying to connect, you know, we go about our earthly life and have a, a spiritual connection. No, we are connected to God as daddy. Just throwing ourselves to our heavenly, eternal heavenly father as like a little child. And Jesus said, that's the, that's the image of faith. The little children get it. They get it. We need to become like them to experience this. So we get fellowship. The fourth thing we get is faith or I would say assurance of our faith. Um, Verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, that we don't have to wonder, is it true? Have I been accepted? That the Spirit of God is at work within me to remind me of my status as God's child. And, And the good news of Jesus is that we don't have to always be asking, have I done enough? You know, how can I be sure I'm in good standing? You can be sure because you can never be so good to be accepted by God and you can never be so bad that you're beyond his grace. The good news of Jesus is that you, by faith, have good standing and God's spirit reminds you, hey, you're a child. You're not a servant. We can be confident in our faith. That's not arrogance. People say, oh, that's arrogant that you're so confident in your faith. Well, Well, if the God of the universe didn't keep reminding me how precious and loved I am, then maybe I would doubt it. But he gives me assurance. He's reminding me all the time, this is who you are. You're my child. I love you. I accept you. So we get faith, an assurance of our faith. And then the last thing we get is a future. Uh, verse 17 here in Romans 8. Now, if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. The eternal father gives us an eternal inheritance. He gives us eternal life. Even if we suffer today, just as Christ suffered, on the other side of Christ's suffering was new resurrection life. And we too, whatever suffering we experience today, we know that we are held in his hand for a beautiful future and nothing can separate us from that destiny, that we will be in the new heavens and the new earth with the resurrected bodies and new life for forever. So we have fellowship with God today and it just never ends because he's the eternal father. In the conclusion of the Romans passage, it's one of it's just again some of the greatest words in all of scripture. The conclusion of the matter is this, Romans 8:38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, um, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is, you are eternally connected to your loving Heavenly Father. Let's finish our time by just 
approaching our everlasting Father together in prayer. And if you just uh, bow your heads and, and close your eyes, and if you can, um, I encourage you to just picture God. And again, God is spirit. He, he, we can't picture him, but just as you're able to consider God as Father and, and with you, sitting with you, and you can approach him and you can sit with him and you can pray, Father, Daddy, I need you. Father, thank you for your goodness to me, your promises to me, your plans for me. But Father, I'm sorry for how I've ignored that or fallen short of that or for my attitude. And Will you forgive me? If there's anything specific that comes to mind that you'd like forgiveness from your Heavenly Father, just in silence, just pray that to Him. Continue to talk to your Heavenly Father. You can say, Father, God, I, I need your guidance. I need your advice. I don't know what to do, but I trust that you do. I need to hear your voice, Father. And if there's a specific situation that you'd like God's guidance and wisdom on, just you can just in silence just pray that to him and then listen to God. Father, what are you saying to me? What are you putting on my heart right now? As you finish this brief conversation, and perhaps God is impressing something on your heart, or perhaps you're going to need more time to, to pray in this way. But just consider the God of the universe, your Heavenly Father, praying back to you and speaking back to you. I love you. I forgive you. I accept you. I love talking to you. I want you to know that I have great plans for you. Father God, we thank you for this conversation. We thank you that we have the freedom to be your children, the access to call you daddy. We thank you for your great love for us. We, we give you all the glory. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.